Girlfriend, here is your show. Girlfriended, your chance to connect with other women, especially the woman that is most overlooked, yourself. Girlfriended is all about helping you become self-aware, not self-involved. The aim is to provide information that relates to life, which leads to real connections and results in a desire to connect or care for those in need. And now the women want to help you in more ways than you can count every day. From the website, GirlfriendIt.com, and the movement, GirlfriendIt, here are Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan on Toginet.com. Question, how do you define yourself? You know what, that is kind of a hard question, because there's so many factors that really play into um, kind of our identity and how we, how we see ourselves. And I know today, I'm really looking forward to our show today because we're going to be talking with um, two different women. Um, one is an author and, and one is a, a ministry leader. And we're going to be talking about our identities and even going into, you know, how much do we allow our past to, to kind of define us? And uh, maybe what roles are we playing currently in our lives that, that we're allowing to define us? That really, that's not who we are, but we find ourselves being kind of pigeonholed into a certain role. But before we get too far into our show and talking about our identities and what defines us, we just want to remind you that you are listening to Girlfriend at Radio with Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan, where we rally you to do the remarkable through resources and relationships. And we're going to have more information about today's show and other tips and tricks on our website at girlfriendit.com. And you can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Well, Leading with her personal recovery from sexual trauma and her professional experience as a psychotherapist, we have author Mary Ellen Mann talking with us today about a beautiful guide to restoration and healing from her new book, From Pain to Power, Overcoming a Sexual Trauma and Reclaiming Your True Identity. She is a licensed clinical social worker and president of Mann Counseling Group. Mary Ellen has dedicated her life to empowering women devastated by the aftermath of sexual trauma. And in her book, From Pain to Power, uh, she combines the clinical expertise with profound biblical truths, her own personal experience of having suffered through sexual violation, and she lends even more credibility and value to her, um, just with her fearless voice. She's an outspoken opponent to the victim status many women bear in silence and shame, and she seeks to not just encourage women, but to also equip them with the spiritual weapons they need to thrive. So we just want to give you a great big welcome. Uh, How are you, Mary Ellen? Thank you so much for having me. What a great introduction. I'm great. How are you guys? We We are are doing doing fabulous. We've just been um, going over everything with our sound engineer. She thinks that pumpkin spice coffee is um, just for the fall and for Thanksgiving, and we were arguing, saying (laughs) it's very much a Christmas. um, (laughs) That is like a taste, but, you know, pumpkin stuff continues on through Christmas. You know, and I've been known to make pumpkin pie in the summertime. So I don't know where, what the classification is for that, but I'm a fan. <laughs> <laughs> Good. So are we. Yeah. Well, we, yeah, um, well thank we you still... for having me on today. It's such a delight. Well, we're looking forward to talking to you because, um, yeah. you know, we're talking about, we kind of led in with the question, you know, how do you define yourself? And identity plays such an important role in our lives and how we see ourselves and how we project that onto others. And, um, right. you know, we know... We hear countless stories, you know, from, you know, just 
different situations that have happened in our past. And a lot of times it's easy to carry that forward and allow ourselves to, to see ourselves as a victim and stay in that place and never really yeah. pushing past that for healing. And you have really, um, your story, we want to kind of understand that because you are about the healing and the restoration from uh-huh. traumas or from situations in the past. So can you right. just kind of give us a little bit of background of your story? Yeah, you know, um, I, I have to use sort of vague um, ideas here because I some of the people that brought a great deal of harm into my life are still alive and, um, you know, can be quite litigious, if you will, and, and maybe even go into a legal place with all this. So I, if I sound a little vague, it's not because I'm shameful of what's happened to me, but because I have to be careful. Mm-hmm. Um, and many people who come out with their story, the people are have passed away, and so they can be very bold and say, this is exactly who did this to me and when it happened and all of that. So I did want to give a little disclaimer. Um, so I grew up in a home that um, was a, we went to church, and I went to Christian camps and Christian schools, and we were very involved and even hosted our pastors at our home and had a condo in the mountains and all this stuff and had all kinds of guests come and be with us who were from the church. However, what um, I was dealing with, and, and certainly other folks who are in our family were dealing with, is that we did have a sexual predator and sexual deviant in our home who um, was a part of raising me. And so I went through a childhood where what anyone would probably, not anyone, but people might see as sexually deviant behaviors was just sort of normative and did not have, therefore, much of a gauge going into middle school and high school and college, which wasn't recognizing people who had kind of a predator mentality and so became, you know, subject to further abuses. And it wasn't until um, I dealt with a pretty intense and difficult first marriage that in my recovery, which had so much of God just pouring into me, my meaning and value as part of my recovery, also just the courage to become more true and remaining vulnerable to God while I was in a lot of pain brought such goodness <laughs> into my life. Mm-hmm. And, and so by the time I was in my mid-20s, I was also at Columbia University um, in New York City where I was being cared for and strengthened and encouraged by people who were not Christians, who were definitely, you know, um, living alternative-type lifestyles and, and such. But but it really brought so much goodness and value into my life, really believing in my intelligence and my capacity to communicate and be compassionate and also taught me boundaries. And so then that morphed into really this career now as a therapist where, you know, I think good therapists learn along with their clients and stay very teachable and have a posture of, of um, the student-type mentality and a posture of learning throughout the course of their professional life. So, so my recovery has been ongoing, really an exciting way, at least for 15 years in a real active, strong way. And, and to see that as I started to change what I thought of myself, I started inadvertently, kind of on accident, if you will, teaching people how to treat me. And then better people, more loving people, more respectful people started filling in my life. And so it's created a real mindset for me to realize we've got to, as believers, I want to teach people how to believe differently about themselves regardless of what they've been exposed to. 
Mm. Well, you just said something that was so significant. Uh, You know, you're making a choice. I love that quote. I can choose to let it define me, confine me, refine me, outshine me, or I can choose to leave it behind me. And um, I, I love that, that not only are you choosing that, but you're also choosing to make sure that you're helping others. Um, I do have to ask you, um, and maybe you can't can't answer this, but with, was the most traumatic thing that you were going through in just the sexual abuse, did you say that that happened in your high school years? I'm just curious in the formative years, like when mm-hmm. this took place. Well, you know, I was exposed to molesting touch as early as four years old. And mm. then by the time, um, and certainly was exposed to pornography, was exposed to um, just real licentious language about women and very objectifying language about women uh, from the get-go. And so I then was exposed to pastors and youth pastors who um you know, of course, it was never advertised that I was molested because I didn't even know to tell anybody because it was just mm-hmm. such a part of my life. And mm-hmm. in the 80s and such, when we're, I was in high school and middle school, nobody talked about it. So um, I just know I, did, I knew I didn't like it. I wouldn't let my girlfriends come over to my house. I felt that the purience was just so embarrassing, but I didn't know it was considered sexual abuse. And mm-hmm. so... Um, so the pastors, I think it was just very interesting. Youth pastors would just flirt with me and ask me out and hang out with me alone. And the touching would get a little bit more involved and, you know, then inappropriate, it became inappropriate, but not full sexual scandal because I was Christian, if you will, enough and new in Christian culture, you don't have sex with people, but all these other things are going on, you know? So then I went to college where a professor, um, sexually harassed me starting my second semester of my freshman year. And then we, I and three other girls had him, uh, it was a private college. So it was very difficult. They didn't, unlike a state college, we had, there was no real um, sexual harassment policy. So it was our complaints that really formed their new sexual harassment policy. But the point was why it took so long um, was that there really wasn't anything in, in place to, um, have him fired. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so it took three, you know, four of us total and, and really over the span of two and a half, three years to get him off the campus. So that was a real victory. And we didn't get him off the campus until after we'd already graduated from college. So we continued the fight um, until, you know, we could really make sure that other female students were safe. And mm-hmm. so you can just see, like, I just didn't have a, a gauge of when the, the, had the line crossed. It wasn't until I started really maturing spiritually and outside of my home where I realized that's not right. I don't like how I feel. This isn't God's best for me. Is, there, is this called something? And then Dan Allender's book just came out the year, or I read it or was given it, the year we finalized the sexual harassment issue and realized, no. Oh, it's qualified as sexual abuse. I didn't even realize this. Mm-hmm. So that's what started the wheels turning. Um, so I hope that's helpful or clarifies. Well, um, we just have about a minute to, we're going to take our break. And there's okay. just a couple of things I want to unpack. Um, first of all, kind of breaking the silence, so to speak, you know, you, you come out, you start, that's going to be really difficult when you're, you're, carrying so much of this in silence and in shame. And then it's like, you know, to start, 
talking to somebody because you don't know how they're going to respond to it. And like, right. who do I, who do I start having a conversation with about this? Cause you, like you said, you don't know what is, you know, what is normal and what is not kind of thing. I, you know, mm-hmm. I, I don't feel good about it, but I don't really know. So, um, you know, kind of talking about that. And then the other thing you said earlier was, um, you know, as, cause it started affecting you when you were four and then you started, um, I don't know if you said gravitating or started recognizing like the predator mentality and it's like, mm-hmm. you could see that. So I want to unpack that because I think that is really, um, that's really significant to understand because you do see that happening a lot, um, with women who have had it at an early age and then they kind of gravitate that direction. So we're going to take a right. quick break. That was a lot to say there. We have a lot to unpack, but your story is so significant and sacred. So we're going to take a break. We'll be right back. This is Girlfriended on Togginap. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on Girlfriended.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend it. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriended Radio right after these. My husband and I were in youth ministry and knew nothing about church planning. But as we felt God leading us to start a new church, we were connected with Stadia. They gave us coaching and personal care, giving us the confidence that we needed. They even have a ministry called Bloom that's designed to support me as a lead planner spouse. We now lead a church in Cleveland, Ohio that's transforming lives, and we couldn't have done it without Stadia. Stadia plants churches that intentionally care for children. We won't stop until every child has a church. For more information, go to stadia.cc. This is the Toginet Radio Network, broadcasting quality programming to the world. Welcome to Geraldine Tegelove Live, the show that shares with you the secrets of redefining, reinventing, and rebuilding your life. Having pulled herself from the rubble of financial ruin and having gone on to create a highly successful career, Geraldine has become an expert in the art of transformation. She believes that it doesn't matter where you are right now, how overwhelmed you feel, or how impossible the task of turning your life around may seem. You can do it. Stay tuned as metaphysician, international best-selling author and intuitive, Geraldine Tegelov gives you the inner understanding and the outer practical how-to to create your amazing life. Gain a fresh perspective on how to redefine, reinvent, and rebuild your life. Join Geraldine Tegelov live every Tuesday evening at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, right here on the Toginet Radio Network. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio, a chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. Well, welcome back to Girlfriended. 
welcome back to our show. We are talking to Mary Ellen Mann as she guides brave sexual trauma survivors towards their God-given power and dignity while she helps families and communities assist their loved ones towards full recovery. Her new book, From Pain to Power, Overcoming Sexual Trauma and Reclaiming Your True Identity, is both a tremendous comfort for sexual trauma survivors and a guidebook for parents, spouses, friends, and community leaders. Well, we just finished, um, as we went into our commercial break, talking about the predator mentality. And uh, Mary Ellen, you, you kind of, you were going through quite a few different scenarios of when mm-hmm. you were exposed to sexual trauma. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm assuming that's what you mean by that, the predator mentality where they can actually spot someone that's maybe been victimized. Can you explain a little bit more about that? Well, I think I think that oftentimes when people have been victimized, especially starting as children, they are led to believe or left to believe that it's their fault. So these children then become adolescents and then adults, believing like if bad things happen, it's because I'm doing something wrong. I better change, become better, purer, stronger, more resilient, nicer, what have you. And so um, people who uh, sense that vulnerability in, say, someone like me would say, I can make her feel bad for me and I can hurt her feelings or use her or uh, deceive her easily because she really thinks this is going to be her fault. This is easy. When I started reading about sexual predators and understanding the sociopathy or antisocial personality disorder that's behind victimizing others, one of the quotes that really put my hair on edge, if you will, in the back of my neck was when uh, the sociopath um, said, you know, my favorite part of victimizing people isn't the actual act of acting out sexually or taking their money or any of those things. It's, you know, and conquering them basically and dominating them. They said, my favorite part is when I get them to feel sorry for me and I get them to feel responsible for me. Mm. And so... You take a child who feels responsible for being abused, it becomes very easy to then manipulate them as adults. Um, so, so if we unpack that a little further, we have all these various behaviors. The, the person says, you know, I'll kill myself if you don't stay in this relationship, which actually happened to me. And so hence why I followed through with my first marriage. Um, I did know that that was a sign that they were controlling and manipulative. <laughs> I truly really thought that it's going to be my fault if he hurts himself. Mm-hmm. So there we have that kind of thing, you know, I'll kill myself, I'll hurt myself, I'll drink and drive um, if you don't do this for me. So there's that kind of behavior. There's also, um, you know, the idea that they can have access to your friends, but when they do this, they'll say, did you notice that your friend didn't listen to you? I don't think your friends are really for you. I think your family isn't really attentive. A lot of your, the people in your life are very selfish. You have to look out for yourself better. I'm going to help you with that. You know, I'm here for you. And they, they make themselves somewhat invaluable. And if you will, the sole provider of your emotional needs, sometimes your financial needs. And so, there's, there can be, if you will, a, a building of dependency in their victim. Um, you know, as well, they criticize them and just say, you know, you really don't understand relationships. You're not successful uh, with people. Have you noticed that you could be making a lot more money if you were more savvy? Um, <clears throat> or, 
they'll say things like, you know, you, why didn't you call me last night? And you say, well, I thought you were busy. Well, I mean, you can't know that unless you ask me. So the next day she calls him and says, hey, how are you? I don't know if you're busy. And he's like, are you kidding me? Of course I'm busy. So you feel like you're getting these mind games, right? So all of a sudden, hold on, I thought you said I was unsuccessful with people and that I'm not nice and that I better call you. And now I'm kind of an idiot for doing it. So this whole idea of the push-pull, and it gets the person who they're victimizing to feel they can't trust their judgment. And I was telling my clients, you know, over the course of just working on this book and coming to terms with this fact, and the word picture that really fits for me is if the body, if the emotional body, or we saw our emotions as a body, a physical human body, then the emotional abuse that the predator applies, um, the emotional abuse is like breaking the femur of the body. And people might think I'm going to say the heart, but the femur is your stabilizing bone. If you break your femur, you are in a wheelchair (laughs) and you can't put any weight on it. Sometimes for six weeks, you are completely destabilized. You can't walk on crutches. You know, sometimes they have to pin it. It's also, they say, the highest pain the body can bear right next to childbirth. Mm. And so, and yet childbirth is, we hope, a very productive event. Breaking a femur is not. So that was the word picture I feel like just really represents what the predator is trying to do. They're trying to break the femur in your emotional body. They're trying to break the femur in your emotional content. And if they can get that thing broken, then you can't get very far. Well, um, first of all, we could just sit here and listen to you giving examples because we can all, I know our listeners have got to be going, wait, that's my friend, or that's even me, or hey, yeah. that's a relationship I'm in. I, I know even um, I have a friend who's dealing with uh, their aging parents with that same push and pull, manipulative um, relationship, and it's so hard when it's someone that you love. Uh, what what can you do once you understand? Hey, this is what's going on. To get healthy, I mean, at what point do you go, okay, I need some help here. I need to probably either talk to somebody or they mm-hmm. have been talking to someone, but they're still not making any changes in the behavior. Um, you know, I always say we can't control someone else, but we can set the standards for what we accept. And I don't believe that, um, you know, most people who are caught in the web of this have sometimes forgotten. And so maybe today is the reminder, but they've Mm -hmm. forgotten that they don't need anyone's permission to set standards for their life. Mm -hmm. So if your standard is that you, you don't want to go out past eight o'clock, you don't need to ask someone, is that okay with you? (laughs) You just say, I don't want to go out past eight Mm -hmm. (laughs) o'clock. The point is really shifting, if you will, into self-possession, not self-obsession, because that's very unwise for many reasons. But to be self-possessed is to say, those are my standards. And if we're made in the image of God, who is filled himself, is filled with standards, then standing up for ourselves and those standards is the holy and obedient act. And so it really starts with just planting that seed and saying, okay, what are my standards? Take out a pen and paper. 
you know, and start writing those down. Like, what kind of bedtime do I need? What vitamins do I need? What water intake do I need? What's a healthy breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Just start with your basics. Um, What rules do I need to set with my children at home where I feel like they're overrunning my boundaries? And we always know our boundaries are overrun when we feel resentful, (laughs) Um, you know, when we feel anxious. We know that we've taken ourselves too far. Or we've allowed something to get too far past our our boundary or property line. And so the image I have of that concept of our property line is that each of us is born with our plot of land. And what are we going to do? Are we going to let any old thing come onto our property? Are we going to build a beautiful castle? Are we going to start pitching all the trash left behind? Are we going to let it sit there? Because really, ultimately, our life is is ours to own and God gave us free will to decide what those standards and expectations were going to be. He just wants to be at the center of them because he will help you make it the best, the most true. Well, you know, you've, the whole thing is like, we, we focus so much on, on the pain of it and you really are trying to help people move from the pain to to power and to healing mm-hmm. and transformation and not be stuck in that place. Um, yeah. We just have a couple of minutes because that's so significant. Like there is hope. There is healing. God does redeem our stories and mm-hmm. he allows us. Cause I like what you said earlier. It's like your healing um, is ongoing even through helping other people. And mm-hmm. as you're pouring into people, it's like, it, it helps you. And I think that's a key too, is, um, a lot of our healing comes in the presence and in collaboration with other people and not in isolation. And mm-hmm. um, I think understanding that, but finding the right. So in the last couple minutes we have, explain to us a little bit about how um, our listeners can eat your book and what is it that a key thing you want them to walk away understanding about their identity, about their future from your book and just from your own personal healing. Um, I think, well, the way to get the book, and you're so generous to ask, is um, you can go to lastbattle.com, and that, I'm so sorry, lastbattle.org, okay. and Last Battle is an organization I run that is entirely devoted to females overcoming sexual trauma, and I've got media links, and I have, um, you know, PDFs and, and handouts and resources for them to review, even some things from the book, and um you know, a gallery where you can submit poetry and, and see recovery artwork and all of it's really beautiful. Um, my web designer did an amazing job. And I do define the identity of what I call the princess warrior. The princess warrior is indicative of the fact that we've been made in God's image and he's the king of kings and lord of lords, and therefore we are princesses in that kingdom. We are as adopted heirs and co-heirs to the throne of Christ. And that's our royalty. That is our inheritance if we choose to connect with that. The warrior piece is that, you know, Paul talks about being ready as a soldier. And so we have the warrior element because we are under siege, this side of heaven. We are dealing with the reality of evil that wants to take our identity, wants to help us forget it, wants us to numb out and um, not be attached to that. So we are in a battle for our significance, and for our royal inheritance. And so the identity piece really came to me because I was (laughs) dealing with the fact that a dear family member of mine was uh, sexually abused um, 
in the same home and it went into a legal process with that. And in that process, I just saw her beauty and how amazing she is. And I just thought, I don't want the bad guys to keep winning. I want something that says we are going to stand up and stand out and we are going to reclaim our lives because I don't want some person who's been selfish and dark to own my future. Mary Ellen, so we're going to have to stop right there. That? And thank you. We're going to, we're going to take a quick break and we're going to be right back. Oh, sorry. Thank you. This is Girlfriend on Togginap. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on GirlfriendIt.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend It. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriend It Radio right after these. We were thriving in a youth ministry when God clearly called us out of our Bible Belt comfort zone to plant a church in California. Stadia's 90-plus percent success rate gave us all the confidence we needed. They also cared for us through amazing support networks to encourage us like Bloom, a -a one-of-a-kind ministry for planters' wives. It's here I find deep friendships with like-minded gals who want to change lives. Stadia plants churches that intentionally care for children. We won't stop until every child has a church. For more information, go to stadia.cc. Admit it, I love Coca-Cola. It is truly supernaculum. That means good to the last drop. The slogan good to the last drop was actually first used by the Coca-Cola company in 1908 before eventually becoming the slogan for coffee. Coca-Cola is in fact the world's most recognizable trademark, known by 94% of the world's population. Cuba and Panama were the first two countries to bottle Coca-Cola outside of the United States. When my husband and I were in the Amazon jungle for several weeks, we had a hankering for a Coke. I kid you not, a canoe seemingly appeared out of nowhere loaded with Coca-Cola. I later found out that in Brazil, a local bottler makes regular trips up the Amazon River to deliver Coca-Cola to remote locations. Now that is Supernaculum. It's marching down. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and for more Words You Never Heard, check out my podcast at wordsyouneverheard.com. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio, a chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. Now is a good friend and ministry partner who is passionate about helping women lead effectively and intentionally. Vanessa Pugh and her husband Scott planted Velocity Church in Cleveland, Ohio back in 2009. Vanessa is the assistant director of spouse and family support for Stadia, and she has presented at several exponential workshops, various women events, and is on the preaching team at Velocity. She helps lead a ministry for pastor's wives called Bloom, which is under the umbrella of Stadia. And Stadia transforms lives and communities through church planning and plants churches that intentionally care for children. And the cool thing, they won't stop until every child has a church. Well, Bloom provides inspiration, encouragement, and resources for planners' spouses so they can provide the same to their families, staffs, and churches. So joining us now, we have Vanessa. Vanessa Pugh, welcome. Hey, friends. How are you doing in this fun, cool I, season? 
I am doing awesome. I We live in Cleveland, Ohio, and it has been a steady 50 degrees and higher this entire month, so I am absolutely fabulous. <laughs> Yay! We were just talking about um, Arizona is the coldest person, or the coldest person, the coldest state <laughs> right now in all of America. I guess it was 11 degrees, and Lisa, didn't you say it was 17 below somewhere? Yeah, yeah, so we're all like, okay, we it's it's we like this because it makes it like Christmas and the holidays seem cold and we get to actually wear jackets. So we, we kind of like it <laughs> and your 50 degrees, you know, that's, that is still cold for us. So it's warm for you and it's still cold for us, but we're having, you know, anyway, we can get off the weather right now, but it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's such a, it is such a great season. And, um, I, you know, we've been talking on our show, we're talking today about identity and, you know, mm-hmm. what defines us? Who defines us? You know, is it, a, is it a role we play? Is it a situation, you know, from, you know, in the past? Or, um, you know, what is that? Because I think we all struggle with that um, and searching for our true identity. And so I know, um, Vanessa, you wear many hats and um, you are constantly just influencing women and speaking into their lives. And um, how do you, how would you define yourself? If somebody came, because that's a hard question, and I'm putting you on the spot, but what are some things that, some words that you use even to describe and define yourself? Yes, that is a very, um, very broad question, because you always kind of toe the line with um, your identity being who I am, not what I do. Because mm-hmm. I think that's a question when you ask somebody, you know, like, tell me about yourself. We always start off with what we do. You know what I mean? Well, I'm a, I'm a wife, I'm a mother, I'm a you know, pastor's wife, you know, whatever that is. <clears throat> but when you really talk about who am I, like what defines me, I think that's, you know, that, that's kind of where, where the question gets tricky. I would say at my core, I, I'm a servant. I think um, and then that's something that's evolved over the course of my relationship with Christ is really kind of how I would identify myself as a servant. You know, how, how can I be used to help other people in any situation, whether it be you know, at the grocery store or whether it be in my church. Um, but I would say at the core of my identity, I would, I would definitely stay servant, but maybe that's just because that's how I'm wired, mm-hmm. you know, and but I, as far it, as my identity, go ahead. Mm-hmm. No, as I was gonna say, that is a great distinction. And cause we've talked about that before, because it is our tendency to, to immediately go start going what we're doing. And mm-hmm. I, and we wear the busyness, um, kind of like as an idol. I'm so busy and I'm doing this, this, and this. Therefore, I must be significant and successful instead of who really am I? And I like that word you said, servant, um, because that, that says a lot and it's not, it's not so specific. It doesn't change with all the different roles you play in life. Mm-hmm. And, so, and now I'm going to yeah. say that that's my, that's who I am too. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Good. Then we're twinsies. That's good. <laughs> No, it's funny when you said that, because I thought, you know, I really do want to see myself that way. But if I were to be honest, I, I'm a servant and yet not always with the best heart in place. It's like I do things, but I have found that there are times that I'm doing them and I'm, I'm not as happy about it as I should. And then afterwards I always am like, okay, God, I'm feeling really guilty right now that I didn't go into that with a you know, a happy heart, but Mm -hmm. it's, it's funny that that would be 
probably my 2016 goal is to have a better heart about being a servant. Mm-hmm. Okay, you know that now that you've announced that, we're going to hold you accountable. I know that wasn't fun. Can I go, <laughs> can I take that back? <laughs> No, I'm I'm going to delight in that (laughs) comment that you made and all year long in 2006, as I, I, in a very kind way, remind you. Do you like that? I'm just laughing, (laughs) Vanessa, because this morning, I, you know, Lisa and I are over here, we're preparing for radio and, and, you know, I get the the call from my high school daughter. Um, Hey, I have a final, but I left my term paper there. Can, can someone come bring it? So I'm, I'm scrambling around the house trying to pawn off this chore for one of my kids, you know, to be a happy servant and do this for me. So now I'm, I'm starting to have to add cash involved (laughs) to highly motivate. (laughs) And then Lisa's over here offering her two cents. Well, have them take your car and give them cash. And then uh, as we go through all of this, then uh, I get another message after I finally um, was able to get one of my happy heart servants to go do this. Um, She responds with, this wasn't the right paper. Um, So that's, that's, I think, where I wish I could always just be like, yes, this is great. Let me, let me find somebody else to come back there again and try try to serve you. It's just yes. never convenient to serve. <laughs> no, not typically. Not. No. <clears throat> well, and, and do you find? Um, I I know uh, it's so easy because it's like when you say servant, and that I love that you know a kind of a um, a context to put it into because it's really easy to look at, at, at things in the past and whether um, it's a failure that we perceived as a failure or a situation and keep carrying that forward um, in the present and even projecting that into the future instead of just going, I am a servant. And, and that just covers so much um, in, in your conversations. Cause I know you, you know, you're constantly pouring into to women and you're constantly pouring into pastors wives. And I, I think, you know, that group and uh, any group of women you talk to identity is a huge thing. You know, who really mm-hmm. am I mm-hmm. and who am I called to be? And mm-hmm. then some of those conversations, what, um, you know, how do you, how do you have those conversations with women? Which conversation specifically about just, who yeah, I am? Just or what identity. I'm and, and, well, you know, we get that, we get that a lot in what we do with pastors mm-hmm. wives. Cause so many times, one of the biggest questions that women wrestle with is what's my role? What should I be doing? You know, because when you're in the role of a pastor's wife, you are in kind of a different a different, you know, category than, than most other people. So what's my role? And what I try to always encourage these women, and, um, you know, we have a really great opportunity to do this specifically in church planting because a lot of times the churches that we start, um, you know, are at least our church for sure, is certainly geared at, not, you know, unchurched people, people who, you know, don't go to church, have never been to church, don't understand the whole concept of church. So they don't really have any perceptions of what they think I should be. So that really gives me the freedom to decide, okay, how has God gifted me? And what am I passionate about? Mm-hmm. What are the two things that I'm able to do? So then I can so much better live in my identity because I'm doing what I'm good at, what I'm capable of. So I just really encourage women, okay, take off the label of the pastor's wife. If you were an active member in your congregation, what would you be doing? Mm-hmm. You know, so when you find your identity, it's, it's, it's about tell me what you have to offer from inside of who you are. And like I said, mine comes from 
being a servant. You know, I think, and that's not for everybody. That's not like a blanket identity. Oh, that sounds great. You know, we'll all just be servants because that's probably what Jesus would do. So we should probably do that too. I'm not saying that at all because everybody's identity is completely different. Mm -hmm. So the more comfortable I am with what my identity is, the less I want to be somebody else's identity. I don't, I, I, and I guess the older I get, I understand that more. I can't say that was the case when my husband and I first started in ministry. Um, you know, I was looking for someone to emulate. Who, what am I supposed to be? What, what should my identity be in this role? And the older I get, I realize, wow, this is how I'm wired. This really, this, I really like this. And as exhausting as it is and as um, unappreciative as this role can be, this is really who I am and what makes me happiest in any capacity, whether, whether you ever get recognition for it or not. This is who I am, and this is what I naturally find myself doing. So has made me so much more aware of opportunities to do that. So we just tell, you know, women a lot of times, tell me what, what you're good at. What do you love? You know, what's, what's that one thing deep down inside of you that, that you could do all day, every day and never get sick of? And mm-hmm. that's usually where you're able to kind of guide these women into what their identity is. Mm. And that's a great way to do that. I mean, just like, what do you love to do? Because we, our tendency is to look, and I know I'm speaking from myself, um, I tend to look to the right and to the left and go, well, what are they doing? And maybe, mm-hmm. and that sounds really good because we don't really take the time to become a student of ourselves. And what do mm-hmm. I really enjoy doing? And what do I, um, what really lights me up? And like you said, that I could do day in and day out. And instead we're looking at going, okay, that sounds a little more nobler than what I see, or that sounds a little bit more exciting or significant. Mm-hmm. And we start having, you know, this talk in our head and we want to kind of adopt and put on somebody else's identity instead of our own. And I think that's, well, I think that's easy, but that's mm-hmm. easy to do because we can see that identity. You know, that identity is bullet pointed. That person is mapped out. So it's so much easier for us to want to become that identity because that we can see. It's so hard for us to see our own identity because number one, we're either really insecure or we're really self-conscious of it, or we think it's arrogant if we look at ourselves and see what that looks like. It's just so much easier to look at somebody else and just try to photocopy whatever identity that we see in front of us. You are so right. And that is so, that is so it because we can see it with ourselves, We can't see it. And how many times does, do we have to ask somebody else or we should be asking somebody else, what do you see in me right now? Because we are not mm-hmm. objective when it comes to ourselves. And if, mm-hmm. and if we are honest, we are probably really hard on ourselves mm-hmm. and, and we tend to have more negative uh, talk toward ourselves than other people would. So sometimes you just have to go to somebody that you trust that's safe, that really knows you and say, help me see some things here that I am not seeing in myself. Um, and it just, so you, so you can go forward. Cause sometimes it's so easy I to just have is. that negative. Well, we're going to take a quick break. And I, I just, sure. I so appreciate some of the things you've said, cause we want to continue to unpack those and about our identity. Cause it really is significant when we understand who we are, how God, you know, uniquely wired each one of us to be and the role that we do play in the kingdom. So we're going to take a quick break and we're going to be right back. This is Girlfriended on Togginet. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on Girlfriended.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it. 
Girlfriend It. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriend It Radio right after these. My husband and I have always wanted to plant a new church. After 10 years, God finally affirmed that in us. We thought we were on our own. We never imagined that there was an organization that could partner with us. That's when we got connected with Stadia. They have incredible systems in place to support our family, including a network designed specifically for me, the spouse of a church planner. We could have never done it without Stadia. Stadia plants churches that intentionally care for children. We won't stop until every child has a church. For more information, go to stadia.cc. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. We all know that we need to eat more fruits and vegetables every day. The Centers for Disease Control reported that only 32.5% of adults in the U.S. ate fruit two or more times daily, and just over a quarter of Americans ate vegetables three or more times per day. The nutritional recommendations are that you eat at least five servings of fruit and veggies daily. You need to make a conscious effort to fill your diet with fruit and veggies, and it's actually easy to do. Start by adding vegetables to your favorite dishes like broccoli and onions to your pizza. Add cut up carrots and peppers to your pasta. It's taken me a few years, but I can now say that the majority of our diet at home is vegetables and fruit. By making a conscious effort, you can do it too. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Visit our Facebook fan page at Fitness Minute with Annette Hammond. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio. A chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on Toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. Well, we've been talking with a good friend and ministry partner, Vanessa Pugh, who is passionate about helping women lead effectively and intentionally. And her and her husband, Scott, planted Velocity Church in Cleveland, Ohio back in 2009. And she helps lead a ministry for pastor's wives called Bloom, which is under the umbrella of Stadia. And Vanessa, we were just talking about, um, first of all, I I thought it was interesting because Lisa had you define who you are. And um, I was laughing because I thought, oh, Lisa should have made it harder and just said, define yourself in one word, because that one is really complicated. And yet you were able to do it without even thinking twice, that you defined yourself as servant. And uh, I, I think there's a quote talking about trying to define who you are is like biting your own teeth. But um, but to know who you are is a very secure feeling because of knowing who you are in Christ and going back to who you are. Um, well, on that note, as I'm like just rambling on about quotes and, and uh, your servanthood, how do you help others is how we were ending the last segment with helping other women define who they are. I left you speechless. You did. You really did. <laughs> because I th- again, I think I think helping women figure out who they are. I don't I really don't think there's a formula to help them do that. I think their life experiences are the things that are going to have to help them figure that out. And the longer you have your relationship with Christ, I think the clearer that can become. At least that was the case for me. Because the more I realized, and this has taken um, a long time to understand this, and it actually even just came to a complete 
uh, you know, <clears throat> kind of like turning point this summer for us. My husband and I kind of suffered a pretty, dra- pretty dramatic tragedy this tragedy this summer. But it was this overarching understanding that God loves me for who I am, not for what mm-hmm. I do. Mm-hmm. And for me, that was just like, wow, that means I can just be who I am. Like it's not based on my performance. I'm, you know, I'm only as good as the last thing that I've done which I, like you guys had said before, we're in our culture. So, you know, performance driven, everything is about what we do and, you know, measurements of goals and what we're able to accomplish. But when we realize God loves me for who I am, not for what I do, it's like, wow, okay. So then who am I, you know? And I really think that it's, it's more of a, um, just a, a coaching process to keep the good questions in front of us to help us kind of, you know, flush that out. Cause I think, and, and in my case, I spent years stalled in the same place, because I wasn't asking myself these questions, mm-hmm. you know, I was waking up every day doing the same things and not evolving in, in, into who I was in my relationship with Christ. And I love the way <clears throat> actually, I don't really read the message version a lot of the Bible, but there's one translation in Ephesians chapter one, 11 and 12. It says it is in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Mm. And it's, there's just so much truth to that because really, I mean, I, I didn't even understand every, everything was just the next thing on the checklist before my relationship with Christ. And I think there's so much freedom. And once you figure out what that identity is. So as far as helping women, I think that's, I think if you can unlock the key to what that really looks like, I think we're going to be like gazillionaires because everybody is a question that we would all just love to understand. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, it's so, it's so deeper than just one dimension. That's why it's so complicated as well. And, and I love what you said about just knowing God loves you for who you are, not what you're doing. And if, if our listeners walk away with just that as a, as a nugget from the entire show, I think that is so significant. I know we've shared this um, before on the show, but just how Lisa and I have um, a, a good friend who we were doing conferences with who had been formerly um, an exotic dancer. And she said when she became a believer she started just thinking, okay, I'm doing all these things for God. Like that's how I'm going to get God to love me is by just actively, you know, leading in these ministries, going out and doing, you know, just kind of being crazy busy and realizing she just transferred her, her background of having a pimp basically into, okay, God was my new pimp. And, uh, that's puts it to the extreme, but it makes you really realize, yes, that's, that's how sometimes we, we look at Christianity and it's not that way at all. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's actually a really, really vivid depiction of what I think a lot of us could, could probably say that same thing. I mean, obviously not in the same context um, as her, but really it's like, okay, well now that I've earned love from other people in this way, unless you really experience unconditional love from someone in your life, you could transfer that you know, exactly onto the way you are with God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, we create him in, in an image we can understand and, sure. um, and what we know, you know, what is familiar <clears throat> to us instead of really seeing him for who he is so much bigger. Um, and that it's about the relationship part and not what we're doing. And so we do enter into our relationship with God as another checklist. And, and then I like what you said earlier, like, so many times in our identity, we get, we get stalled because we don't know mm-hmm. how to move forward because we, we're missing the truth about who we are, how God really sees us, our true identity. Mm-hmm. We, we, we slap on labels 
on ourselves and uh, and expectations that a lot of times we can't even meet. And so it, it is overwhelming. And then we're like, I can't be this person or we borrow it from somebody else. And so that's not even our true identity. And really, you know, like the journey is really discovering who our true identity in, in Jesus, how he, how he truly wired each one of us. And that is a difficult, but I like what you said earlier too, is about asking the questions of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. we quit becoming a student of ourselves and asking, you know, some of those questions is, you know, God, who do you see me as? Instead of, mm-hmm. you know, who does this person or that person? Um, and even, you know, letting go of a past voice that has tried to really, that is really strong, that's spoken to your, your heart and your ear, and we still carry that. Okay, Lisa, yeah, and- like, that is a really good point. How do you do that? How do you let go of those? I mean, I, I know that the, the right answer is, you know, just keep praying about it, give it to God. But is there an action step, even beyond praying, that you can begin making that choice? You know, not to not to jump in on you, Lisa, here, but something you said really struck me, and it's something that I've wrestled with for a long time now. You said label, something mm-hmm. that, that's labeled. <clears throat> and my daughter recently was having some issues going on in the classroom. My daughter is, is you know, exceedingly intelligent, but there was one kid in her class who was always smarter than her, always smarter than her. He had always had, you know, you know, just more notoriety from the teachers. And even on paper, Madeline, you know, was smarter than him, but he always seemed to get recognition and rewards and all that kind of stuff. She came home one day and she was crying about it. And she said, but you don't understand, mom, I'm one of the smart ones. I'm the smart. And I said, whoa, 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 wait a second. I said, who has the right to label something? Mm. Who has the right to put a label on something? And she said, well, the person who made it can label it. And I said, exactly. Who made you? Mm. And she said, God did. I said, okay, then God has the, uh, the only one who has the right to label you, not your mm. classmates, not what you do in the classroom. The only person who has the right to label you is God. And, and the smartest is not a label he puts on you. He puts the label daughter on you. <clears throat> and that's when I realized my 11-year-old daughter is struggling with labels already. And you would think, man, the label of smart kid, well, that's, that's a that's a label I never got. That's a good label. <laughs> Bottom line is that's a label. And as soon as yeah. we start labeling certain things about ourselves, we limit ourselves and what we're actually capable of doing. And you see how dangerous that is. The only person who has the right to label something is the person who created it. And that's God. Mm. Love that. That's that is good. so true. And if we, if we just recognize that and, and not let, let, let these other labels stick to us, you know, which oh, is yeah, so hard. We'll definitely, we'll hang on to the negative labels as well. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll hang on to a negative label just as much as you'll hang on to a positive label that, you know, compels you to keep performing. You'll hang on to a negative label just as much. Again, kind of putting a veil in front of you, being unable to see what your identity even really is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I think even more so, we, we carry that one um, easier and longer than we yeah. do the label that God gives us. Um, because we have to work harder at, at, at um, absorbing God's label. The other one's not so hard, you know. Mm-hmm. And it goes back to what you said earlier. I like what you said, you know, it's we, we, we take on somebody else's identity because that's what we see. We've already seen that, we, you know, it, and it's hard. It, 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 no matter what you're doing, casting vision or anything, people have a hard time seeing what can't be seen. And so, you yeah. know, if you, if you haven't seen it in your life or, or can't imagine it, then it's really hard to, to take it on. But 
when you see it in somebody else, it's already there. It's obvious. That's easier. So you're just like, I'll just borrow that one and put that on. But then it never fits. And um, <laughs> I know, for, you know, it's like you would think that we would learn. I would learn because um, I start, I think we all struggle with that. I struggle with that is I, I want to mm-hmm. take on somebody's label or I sometimes, you know, I, I just you, you struggle. And I I'm going to say myself with I I like what somebody else has. I like their giftedness better than mm-hmm. my, my set of gifts. Mm-hmm. And so I'd rather have that than what I have. And so you don't learn to appreciate mm-hmm. what you've been given and how God has wired you and just appreciate that and see that for all the opportunities and potential it is. We want to focus on somebody else. Yeah. And what's there. So, so true. Yeah. Okay. Well, we just had this went by so fast. Thank you, Vanessa, for just joining us because you, um, we just appreciate you and how you and Debbie and so many others are just making such an impact in so many women and mm-hmm. as they're leading in communities all across the world. And it's, it's so, um, it's so hard sometimes to feel like you're, cause you feel like in isolation. Does anybody else understand? Is anybody experiencing what I'm experiencing? And you guys have created such an amazing community of women who are just there for each other and can say me too, and just encourage, which is what we all need. And, um, just that encouragement and, and, you know, seeking to find our own identity. And maybe that takes some asking somebody, what do you see in me that mm-hmm. I don't see in myself? And it could be that simple. Um, yeah. so with just less than a minute, is there anything else you just want to say just to leave us with on this whole thing of identity and defining yourself? And again, thank you for joining and being a part of our conversation today. No, I'm, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, no, I just, I love what you just said. I think we need to ask each other that honest question. What do you see in me? You know, what do you see? What, you know, what do you see that, that I have the potential to, you know, kind of, kind of work through? And I think, you know, people who tend to be more leadership, have more leadership, kind of take point on that, you know, pour into these other people, be an encouragement to them and help them figure out what that is. Cause once you figure out what that is, I think everything gets a little bit sweeter. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I love that word. It gets sweeter and it's freer. You can you truly yeah. be free to be yourself and it just, you're not caring so much. Life is, is lighter. Well, again, thank you for joining our show. We just, we thank you as our listener for being a part of this conversation and I hope that you will leave asking yourself, who really am I? And it's who I am, not necessarily what I do. Have a great day. Thank you for being a part of this special program, Girlfriended, the show dedicated to the most important woman you know, yourself. It's the show.